Hey there, and welcome to the First Missionary Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We're honored you've chosen to join us today. In a few moments, Senior Pastor Alan Miller will launch into this week's teaching. Before that, though, we'd like to encourage you to also check out our website, firstmissionary.net, where you can find out more about what the Lord is doing in our local body and how you can get involved. Now here's Alan with this week's teaching. Brother Jack Rudy with us in the service. I'm going to ask Brother Jack to come make his way on up here. If you've ever been to Little Center, Kentucky, you probably have noticed uh, Rudy Farm Service uh, store there. He is the owner of that. I have been there several times when we're working down in Ballard County because it's really about the only place you can go and get some supplies in Little Center. So uh, um, he is the past president of Gideon's, um, past president of State. state, state past president. So we are honored today to have him here uh, to speak to us about the Gideons and what they do. Uh, as you know, if you didn't know, Brother Allen is with our youth in eastern Kentucky. So, Brother Jack, you come and lead as the Lord leads you. Thank you, Brother Steve, and good morning, church. Good to be back in First Missionary Baptist Church. Looking over my notes, I, I see that I was here in 2010, and uh, I appreciate the fact that you let me come back again. For scripture reading today, I'd like for us to think or look at what's printed in the 21st chapter of John. There are three verses there that I want us to focus on this morning. Christ had been crucified. He'd spent some days there spending some last-minute instructions with his disciples and close followers. 21st chapter of John, verses 15, 16, and 17, said, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lamb. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to stand before your church family here and to share with them the burden of my heart. Lord, I just pray that everything said and done would be acceptable to you and would bring glory to you and remind us, dear Father, of the need to witness for you throughout our lives. Again, anoint the service, Lord, as we go and as we share with the church here this morning. She ran out the hospital room, screaming to the top of her voice, he wants a Bible, he wants a Bible. These were the words of John Smith's wife. John Smith, young man, worked in the coal mines all his working days, or laboring days, near West Frankfort, Illinois, grew up in Benton, Illinois not far from here. 
John Smith was known when they had a discussion or a break at, in the coal mines of being the one who would always argue that there was no God. And he said, I would win just about all my arguments. Maybe I didn't win, but they would just walk away from me as I was trying to prove to them that there was no God. John was injured. There was infection set into his spinal cord. He was completely paralyzed for six weeks. And basically, the doctors at Barnes Hospital in St. Louis gave the family no more hope for John. He was in a coma. When he came out of the coma, the first words out of his mouth to his Christian wife was, find me a Bible. Therefore, she was very excited. She ran out the room of Barnes Hospital down the hallway. He wants a Bible. He wants a Bible. And someone rushed to her with one of the testaments that was placed by the bedsides of the hospitals. He carried, she carried it back to the room. He said, open it up and put it on my chest. Now imagine him being unconscious for six weeks, and now he's saying things like this. The next day, he asked his wife to begin reading from that Bible. Still paralyzed. But as she read to him daily and he started regaining his strength, six months later he walked out of that hospital. He got enrolled in college, university, studied in a seminary. Today he's the pastor of Birch Tree Baptist Church. If you're going to Branson, you're going to go by Birch Tree Baptist Church. Dr. John Smith's the pastor there. He shared his testimony with us recently and he said since he had been pulling the pulpit, Serving as a child of God and a pastor, he has had over 600 revivals. To God be the glory. And thank you, Benton First Missionary Baptist Church, for helping us feed the sheep. Praise God. This ministry is a ministry of yours. And the, yes, we're known for giving out Bibles from here and to the uttermost parts of the world. But the reason we do, the only reason this ministry of yours exists is to see men, women, boys, and girls come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Yes, that morning some 2,000 years ago, John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Tend my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. Thank you for feeding the sheep. You know it's not talking about like the feed we make at Rudy's Farm Center. Not like the sheep that I used to have. We're talking about God's people. The Word of God. Feed my sheep. And yes, I'm here today to tell you thank you for letting us be workers together in this ministry. Reaching out. Brother Ron and I were talking this morning about some of the problems of the world. It's easy to see those problems. I hope you know that your, chance, your church has the answer to those problems. It's Jesus Christ. But if everyone who claimed the name of Christ, if all who said they were Christians were in church today, every pew would be full. Or, or is it Oscar would be full. Now, if the Christians won't come, why should the unsaved come? We've got the answer, and there's problems out there. But we've got to carry them outside the walls and confines of the church. Thank you for supporting. Thank you for praying. Thank you for giving so that others could have their free copy of God's Word. 
And I'm going to share with you some of the experiences I've had in Africa this morning. I made 15 trips there. And I'm, I'm not here to tell you about what, what I've done. I'm telling you about what God has done. And what I've been blessed to see is the results of your ministry from here to there. But we don't have to go to Africa to see the need. People need the Lord right here. And I hope you realize that you had missionaries working for you. Why, this morning in the jail here in Benton and in the hotels and the motels and the hospitals and the nursing homes and the police stations with the military, with the hospitals and the nursing homes. I've already mentioned that. You've got missionaries there because people need the Lord. Why, last fall on the campus of WKCTC, over 2,500 copies of God's Word were given out. And I'll guarantee you some of those who received that day were asking questions and were finding answers to the problems in their life by reading that witness that you helped create. The next week, we was at Murray State. Over 3,500 copies given out there. Thank you for helping us feed the sheep. You've got missionaries working for you in over 200 countries of the world. I'm sorry for looking over my back, but I was wanting to make sure the slide was up. Over 200 countries of the world. And, and the scriptures that we're giving out are printed in over 100 different languages. And you know, Isaiah 55, 11, there's a promise there. God's word won't return void, he said. But it's going to accomplish that which I please. It'll prosper where I send it. He says the same thing in all those 104 languages. Plus, <coughs> excuse me, if you've got a cell phone with one of those smartphones, you can download up to 1,200 different languages that the Gideons are helping provide around the world today. Yes, the purpose is the same in all those countries. As I think back to the experiences in Africa, I think about the time that I went to a hospital in Uganda. As we approached the administrator of the hospital to tell him that we had scriptures for each of the beds, and we wanted to make them available to the patients so they could have them to read. How many do you have, sir? He said, well, today we've got 150 beds, but I'm sorry to tell you that we've got over 300 patients in our hospital. This was near Rokinjiri, Uganda. And I remember as if it were yesterday, when we walked into the hospital and met with the administrator, he told us that the layout was... There's four wards, we might call it. One for the boys and one for the girls and one for the men and one for the women. They were down hallways. And as I walked down the hallway to one of those wards, I noticed on the door there was a placard that said custodian. <coughs> Excuse me. Custodian. So... That was the janitor room. The door was cracked open, and looking through the door, there were six women laying on pieces of foam rubber. I took six testaments and walked through the door. I stopped breathing because the insects were swarming so bad. I knew that if I continued to breathe, I'd have a mouthful of birds. But I had time to lay these six testaments down beside those women. And they would hold it to their chest as if it was the most precious gift they'd ever received. And I remember in another hospital, 
75-year-old woman picked up that book, and as she held it, she said these words. I knew there was such a book. I've heard about the Bible all my life, but I never thought I'd get to hold one in my hand. Not many of you here can tell me how many Bibles you have in your home today. It's not like that all over the world. And it's precious to them, folks. I've never seen a Lifeway Christian bookstore in Africa. If they had the money, they might go buy a Bible. In Malawi, the country that I've visited nine times, the average income is $300 per year. And you're going to take care of your family. You don't have the money to go to a bookstore and buy a Bible. But you're making it possible. Oh, the impact is terrific. Going to a jail cell or a jail in Africa. You meet with the warden. He says, come on in. Spend as much time as you can telling my people about Christ. I remember going through a jail, and he had 400 inmates. As we shared with them the gospel, they listened to every word that come off our lips. At the end, we said, I don't know why you're in here. You might have killed someone. You might have stolen. You might be a thief, a robber, a murderer. But we offer you a new name today, that being a Christian. And we shared with them how they can accept the Lord as printed in the back of these books, the plan of salvation. Would you like to do that today? And they repeated the sinner's prayer just like a heavenly choir. Then we said, how many of you prayed that for the first time? And 90%, over 360 of the inmates stood to their feet that day to accept the Lord. Thank you. Thank you for feeding the sheep. It's of utmost importance. I never doubt that there's power in God's word. The reason we got to go to that jail was because the night before, we'd been asked to go to this town in Uganda where there was not a Gideon camp. And we met there with eight businessmen and their wives, and we formed a camp. One of the men at the meeting the night before was the warden of the prison, the gentleman on the left in the green coat. As he joined the Gideons that night, he said, I know why you've come to this village. It's because my friend, who is the headmaster of the school, wanted Bibles for his school kids. We went to that school the next morning, and, and here's what the, the warden of the jail said. If you've got any Bibles left, would you please come to my jail? We went to that school. We'd carried 15 boxes of Bibles, 100 to a box. The school had 1,100 kids in it. We finished the distribution that morning. They were tickled to death to get their free copies of God's Word. We go to the jail at 8.30. I told you we took 15 boxes, 1,100 kids. There was 400 in the prison. Wow. The God thing. God just don't work in coincidences, I'm telling you, folks. And he made a difference in their lives. We do go to the same places in Africa we do here, but I really feel like the greatest impact is through our school ministry. I remember in a church in Mazuzu, Malawi, when I shared the message that morning, there was 1,500 people in that church building. The church had windows, but there was no glass in the windows. I remember walking over to the window and looking outside, and I counted four vehicles. 
there that morning with 1,500 people. The pastor gets up, and just like I shared with you from John this morning, he said, turn to our New Testament reading today. And as he said that, and as they took out their Bibles, I took out my camera, and I took pictures of their Bibles because my estimate was that 85% who had a Bible was a little testament like this that you had made available to the school kids. And they had written on the decision page where the whole family had received Christ, and it was precious to them. Well, yes, it's making an impact, and one of my most memorable experiences was in Limby. And at this school, there was 10,000 kids in grades 1 through 8. Packed. This is the industrial part of Malawi where, uh, where they, there is a lot of industry there. And they had moved to the village to be able to find a place to work. There was 1,100 kids in the fifth grade. Usually we go to each classroom, but because the school was so big, we asked for an assembly, and, and they pulled them together for that. Stanley, the local Gideon, is sharing with them. And, and I asked the teachers, I said, now, we're going to make Bibles available for all these kids. The plan is that they'll come by the tables here and pick up their testament on the way back to their classroom. But we might need some help maintaining order. <laughs> Stanley talked to them about the Lord. And as he shared, and as the kids began to come by us, going back to their classroom, we had these testaments stacked up here on the table. And... No more than five minutes had passed. You see the metal there, the horizontal pieces of tin, roofing metal. That was to hide the toilets of the school. 10,000 kids put a lot of toilets. Those fifth grade kids, 10, 12 years old, pressed against Stanley and I so hard, just like stampeding cattle, that they knocked the walls down that hid the toilets. We had... I was actually afraid. Finally mustered enough strength to tell them, go back to your classroom. We'll come room to room. We had more schools to go to that day. We was able to get this done in about 45 minutes. It took us about three hours. They went back to the classroom. They all got a testament. We had plenty for them. They were just worried about getting their copy. Now, the year prior to me going there, I had read that there were 75,000 school children died from starvation. This used to be a rich country, so the people in England and Canada had heard about that, and they sent soy flour to that country. The idea was that they set up feeding stations at the schools, and the parents would come in and boil this soybean meal flour, make it into what they call porridge, so they'd have protein and some energy. And thank goodness today, there's no starvation recorded in Malawi. But we're talking six or eight years ago. I noticed smoke coming up from a little shed. And I made my way to that shed to see women stirring 30 large kettles full of porridge. They would have a little fire built under each kettle. They'd bring it to a boil. And they'd have big sticks. And they'd take it off and set it on the ground. And the kids would come around with their cups and dipping out some of the porridge for them to eat. Now, just a few minutes earlier, the confusion was so bad that the teachers, when we were giving out these Bibles, trying to maintain order, had gone to the trees behind that picture. If we went back there, you would see trees there, and they'd broken switches, limbs. Some of you know what they were used for. 
And they were, they were whipping those children, trying to maintain order, but they could not. I remember one teacher had a big ruler, and she was popping them on the head with that ruler. Didn't do a bit of good. Now, an hour later, here I am watching these children at the kettle. And they walk by so peacefully. They dip their cup into that kettle. And they walk over here and they sit down. And let me tell you something. The year before, 75,000 had starved to death. So they were hungry. And they would sit down so peacefully and they'd eat their porridge. I thought about the words that Christ told Satan in Matthew 4, 4, and Luke 4, 4, as he quoted Deuteronomy 8, 3, he said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. They were starving to death physically, but they were more hungry for the scriptures that churches like you would help provide. Thank you for feeding the sheep. We need your help. Real need, because people need the Lord. So that's why we do it. And we see this scene too often. We see the empty boxes. Let's move on a couple of slides. We see the empty boxes standing out there. You know, last year we had, with praise God, we were able to give out over 90 million free copies. But we had orders for over 110, perhaps 120 million. So some did not get to receive. Sad faces when they don't when we run out. It's hard to describe. But we need your help. Those boxes that we left at that school there back earlier, we emptied those 15 boxes. Would have emptied them in 30 minutes had we not had all the confusion. But they've got to be refilled. It takes $120 to fill a box of testaments. Perhaps today you're going to have an opportunity to give as we close, as you leave today. Maybe you can fill a box. Maybe, maybe you can only buy one testament for $1.20. I don't know. God knows what you can do. And please pray about how God could use you to witness for him. I hope you realize that this is not just another book on the shelf. This is not just ink on paper. This is God's word. And here we see the spirit of God can take the word of God and make a child of it. And he does it over and over and over again. One way you've helped us, and I saw a rack back here in front of the audiovisual booth. It's got cards in it. You've got cards in it that says in memory of or in recognition of or maybe just thinking of you. Use them throughout the year to place Bibles in memory or in honor of someone. The full Bible, like we give in a hotel, costs $5. Each time you place one in memory or in honor of someone, it'll witness to over 2,200 people in its lifetime. After it's worn out, it's taken to jails and used there. And it is changing lives forever. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 24 and 25 reminds us that a man is as grass, a life is as grass. A man is a flower, the glory of man is a flower of grass. It's going to die, it's going to wither, it's not going to last forever. But he says, but my word endureth forever. Never doubt it, folks. It's changing lives. It has. It's going to today, tomorrow, and forever. Yes, John chapter 21. 
three times. Do you love me, Peter? Yes, Lord. He said, feed my sheep. Had to be important for him to say that three times. He's reminding us that it's important. Thank you for letting us be workers together. Thank you, Benton First Missionary Baptist Church, for letting us be workers together with God. We need your help. But as I share with you this morning, the real need is people need the Lord. And they need God's Word. Thanks for joining us on the First Missionary Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. That's it for this week's teaching, but you can always find more on our website, firstmissionary.net. We'd also like to encourage you to like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram and Twitter, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you benefited from this week's lesson, be sure to share it with your friends and family, then leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Thanks again for listening, and God bless.